We are studying Hebrews chapter 6 here on the Radio Bible Course, and if you have your Bibles, we invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Our subject is God taking an oath. Why should God, of all persons, need to take an oath? Listen to what the text says, beginning with verse 16. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he interposed with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible that God should prove false, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. When God took an oath, it was not unlike what Jesus did throughout the gospel. He said, truly, truly. How could he have made it more certain than to say, truly, truly? By saying that, Jesus wanted to emphasize the importance of what he was saying and the fact that it would come true. There's a major reason why men are reluctant to believe God, and that is that they have learned by experience not to trust anybody completely. You'll read advertising that is misleading. Some packaging is deceptive. Some salesmen lie. Contracts are broken. People make promises. Appointments are not kept. And some men are very evasive when we ask straight questions. Because of what man is, we have to be wary of promises, and we transfer our skepticism to the promises of the Bible. We are not sure that God really means what he says. Well, friends, God is faithful, and he won't change. Is there anything that God can do or say to enhance his faithfulness? Can he become more faithful, or can he become more loving? Can he improve in regard to his generosity? The Apostle Paul didn't believe God could, for he wrote about the God of all grace. God cannot improve himself. Now, why did the Hebrew Christians doubt, and why do we doubt? I see one cause and at least two subsequent consequences, and that's the contact that we have with men. Well, you might say we can't avoid human contact. Of course we can't, but we can be on guard in human relationships and not assume that God is like the men we deal with. What is man's problem here that caused God to take an oath? The scripture says, all men are liars. And I doubt if there is any person around who has not experienced a broken promise or the disappointment in someone you thought was a friend and you trusted them. Unlike God, unfortunately, people are not immutable. They do change their minds after making vows and after pledging loyalty. They even lie under oath for selfish reasons. And over a period of time, we learn to protect ourselves from the promises of men by insisting on binding and ironclad contracts. 
We even ask for performance bonds and whatever else is available to get a person to do what he said he would do. At one time or another, I suppose we have all been influenced by the failure of men to question the faithfulness of God. But God is very different. He does not mislead, nor can he lie. Now, having considered all this, we can see the logic of the Apostle John's stinging statement of astonishment in 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. He wrote, If we believe the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Now, the reason he pointed that out is that there were people who were doubting God, and yet they were trusting in men. Now, there's a second consequence of our relationship with men, and it's this. They have paved the way for future doubt of God by insisting that we should trust God for things which he has not promised. Now, let me say that again. When people have taught us that we ought to be trusting in God for certain things that God has never promised to us, that causes us to doubt that God is true. But we have been misled. We have been deceived. We shouldn't have been trusting God for those things because the Bible never authorized us to trust in God for certain things that men told us we ought to trust in. So many of us have experienced not getting what we prayed for. And while we somehow were aware that we should not blame God, we have at the same time wondered why a faithful creator would not respond to our requests. The reason is quite simple. He never promised to do such things. We wrongly assumed that he would because men taught us wrongly. The writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 that God took an oath and is therefore bound forever by his own integrity to carry out his pledge to Abraham and to his descendants. Can God change his mind? Never. For his oath was not conditioned on any performance by Abraham. God swore that he himself would perform. The promiser is not a man. It is the creator of heaven and earth. He alone has absolute control of all things and all beings. No one, not even Satan, who is called the God of this world, can alter what God has promised. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now, this absolute power in the universe is expressed throughout the Old Testament. The reason God took an oath, according to verse 17 and 18 of Hebrews chapter 6, is that God wanted to convince the heirs of promise that he wouldn't change and that they could rely on his word. Where in the Old Testament did God swear? Genesis 22. Listen to it. Beginning with verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. 
and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God here added an oath to his already reliable promise. Now the promise should have been enough, but God knows that he is dealing with the likes of mankind. And men are so depraved that they can no longer even trust their holy creator. Now this says something about the folly of a man taking an oath. It doesn't serve any purpose. For man is without power to perform what he promises. There are people, however, who insist on confirming a matter with an oath, just as God has done. But, friends, God can and will keep his word, but we are not able. To these Hebrew Christians, then, the author has confirmed the reasonableness of faith in the God of promise, so that they would no longer waver in the new covenant, which is as unconditional as that made with Abraham. Now this is the purpose of verses 16 and 17. The safety of the Hebrew Christians rests in what God promised to do because of the cross work of Christ. But is there no obedience required of the believer? Not in regard to the covenant. It placed no one but God under obligation. Obedience is related to blessing under the covenant, but the failure to obey cannot annul what God by himself has determined that he will do. Now, Hebrews 6.18 tells us that God is truth. He cannot lie. What can we conclude from verses 17 and 18? I think we can conclude this, that God's word and truth are inseparable. One cannot with sanity say that he believes God, but not the Bible, because the Bible is God's truth. God does not want us to separate his word from his character. It's a fact that God's character depends upon him keeping his word. We cannot separate the two. So, God wanted to be more convincing to the heirs, so he took an oath, and this resulted in double security. For the God who cannot lie reaffirms his intention to do what he promised to whom? to those who have fled for refuge. What does this mean? Jesus is that refuge. And at the end of verse 18, the writer says we ought to seize the hope set before us. In verse 19, he talks about a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, what is a hope? Everything that God has promised to believers, which they have not yet partaken of, is a hope. It's something in the future. Faith looks back to the cross, and it rests upon what God has already done there through Christ. But hope in the Bible looks ahead. It does not, however, suggest doubt, as in our language. It always refers to something certain, absolute certainty. Christ is our hope, but 
Do we have hope in anything else? We do, for we have been promised the return of Jesus Christ to get us. We have been promised a heavenly home and a glorified body, the resurrection of our dead bodies, the acceptance by the Father, and the inheritance which belongs to Christ. We have been told that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So, we are told to seize the hope before us. Well, how do you do this? By faith. God has promised these things as he made a promise to Abraham, and he is telling us here to hold on to it. Stay attached to it. Don't let it slip away. For if you do, you will become discouraged. Now, that was the plight of these Hebrew Christians. And the result was they were looking back to the ceremonial things in Judaism for reality. There is more that I want to say about Hebrews chapter 6. This is such an important passage. God's integrity is at stake here. And so we'll continue that tomorrow. After this discussion today, you may be wondering, how can I grow in faith? How can my faith become stronger? Well, by the word of God. The subject of faith is discussed rather thoroughly in our Understanding the New Testament teaching tapes. And the integrity of the word of Christ is proclaimed in our teaching tape course called the authority of the Bible. You can get information about these tape courses and others by writing to the Radio Bible course. Ask for our brochure on teaching tapes. Until tomorrow, this is McCalavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.